1: Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. My friends, I love saying that I am a constant learner. I don't think that I'll ever stop learning on this journey of life and I think that is a good thing because when you stop learning, you cease to exist, you stop growing and that is not a fun way to live life. It's not I don't even think it's barely existing at all. So whether or not you want to learn a new talent, stay relevant, reinvent yourself and adopt to whatever the workplace throws your way, my guest today is going to speak to all these things and share about a term called ultra learning. And ultra learning offers nine principles to master hard skills quickly. My guest today is none other than Scott H. Young. Now, for those of you that don't know who Scott is... He is a writer who undertakes interesting self-education projects such as attempting to learn MIT's four-year computer science curriculum in 12 months and learning four languages in one year, which is honestly astounding. He's written a brilliant book called Ultra Learning, Master Hard Skills, Outsmart the Competition and Accelerate Your Career. And in these tumultuous times of economic and technological change, as you're seeing, America is currently in a recession at the moment and it's probably, I think it's going to happen in Australia too. Staying ahead depends on continual self-education, a lifelong mastery of fresh ideas, subjects and skills, which I totally agree with. You should be learning new things or at least trying to learn new things every single day. If you want to accomplish more and stand apart from everyone else, you need to become an ultra learner, which we touch on during this conversation. The challenge of learning new skills is that you think you already know how best to learn as you did as a student. So you rerun old routines and old ways of solving problems. To counter that, ultra learning offers powerful strategies to break you out of those mental ruts and introduces you to new training methods to help you push through to higher levels of retention. And if Scott's life is anything uh, to basically inspire you, anything is pretty much possible when you set your mind to it. And this is a conversation to help you guys learn how to become your own ultra learners. And I really, really enjoyed it. I think you guys are going to get a lot from Scott. And if you do, please share it around to your friends and your family, let everyone know about this one. Do yourself a huge favor and get a copy of uh, Scott's book, Ultra Learning. Links for that will be in the show notes below. And speaking of, of books, my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, will be available in uh, September, on 27th of September, sorry. And it's available for pre-order right now. So the links for that will be in the show notes below too. I hope that you guys can go and support me, support yourself by getting a copy of the book too. So my friends, you know what time it is. It's time to journey with me into the story box, accelerate your career, learn how to be an ultra learner as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice and the stories of none other than Scott H. Young. Oh yeah, it's great to be here. Great to have you here, my friend. My very first question for you is (laughs) what does success look like for you?
0: Yeah, you know, I think uh, I've always really defined my own success in terms of personal autonomy. I know some people really like, you know, like they they aspire for like wealth or fame Mm. or having people really like them. But to me, it's always been, you know, can I like work on stuff that I find interesting and do the things that I want to do. And so I've really geared my life around that to a a large extent, as you can see by the weird projects that I do and stuff. And, uh, and so in that, in that, I guess, limited sense, I have been successful. And, uh, I mean, I think that that's also a, a little bit more of a fulfilling definition. I think sometimes you, you meet people who they, they really have this kind of this eye on, reaching some level of like external validation for their life. And they're often disappointed when they actually get it, if they manage to. So, you know, I'm not going to judge anyone else's life choices, but that's just how I've, I've done mine.
1: When was the moment for you that you realized that that was in fact success? Has it been this gradual thing over the course of your life or was there more of a catalyst moment? somewhere? No, no,
0: I think it was, I think it was from the get go. I mean, I feel like some of that's also my upbringing. I think my parents were very, you know, they had very kind of humble aspirations. So I think that kind of that idea of like, you know, um, you know, you, like you should try to have like a nice life, but not, not, not to trying to be super ostentatious. And that wasn't drilled into me. So I think that was part of it. Um, but I think, yeah, just from the very beginning, this idea of like being able to pursue things that you know, I'd like to spend time on this. I think this is interesting that that's always been very central to me. So again, maybe we're talking about my personality here. Maybe we're not even talking about like some kind of explicit value choice. This is just, let's just psychoanalyze me now and figure out what makes me tick. And I definitely think that desire to just, um, you know, work on things that I find interesting and, and to be able to have like the freedom to do that. Cause I think most of us you know, we're always being constrained by one thing or another, we've got to pay the bills and we've got friends and family and all these other things that keep us from having that autonomy. So it's no small thing to be able to do that. And so I'm very grateful for that.
1: So your interest in learning, was that more, cause I'm curious, is it more hmm. part of your own personality or was your parents encouraging you and, and teaching you like, or, basically saying to you learn this and learn that like you know
0: well both my parents were elementary school teachers so you know Ah. read into that whatever you'd like (laughs) um i don't think they were not very uh pushy about it though um Mm -hmm. so i think that's another thing like I, i definitely didn't have some kind of you know extremely you know ambitious like I'm going to make my son the next Mozart kind of parenting strategy. It was just very much um, learning was sort of uh, for its own reward and for its own sake. And I think, you know, when you grow up in a household where your parents are teachers, there is a certain academic, uh, you know, penetration uh, of that sort of idea in the environment. But, you know, I don't think there was a lot of pressure for them to do that, which maybe also may made me more interested in it intrinsically too. I think sometimes kids, if they have like really overbearing parents, it can it can, it can can go both ways. Sometimes you can be really grateful that your parents pushed you and, and other times you can just be like, I'm so sick of this. I'm never doing this again. Like they study really, really hard and then they're like, never pick up a book again because they're just, um, it just left that bad taste in their mouth. So it, it never was like that for me. So we, we read a lot and and I was interested in things. But if you're asking like why I'm doing what I'm doing right now, I think probably more of those influences happen in kind of my late adolescence or university years where I got interested in entrepreneurship and I got kind of connected into this nascent kind of blogging community where people do this sort of challenge blogging where they would be like doing weird things and then documenting as they were doing it. And I just thought that was really cool. And so I think, I think sort of my, my own interest in learning developed out of this, uh, oh, there's also like these people doing weird learning projects is sort of on the outside of the normal educational system. Um, and, and I think that really kind of, again, going back to my my love of it personal autonomy, that also had some interest for me because it was this kind of cool DIY thing that people were doing. I'm using cool, maybe a little liberally, maybe I shouldn't stress that too much, but it was interesting for me.
1: Did you always see yourself being, I guess, an ultra learner or what is ultra learning? Oh yeah. Okay.
0: Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I think even just, like, it's it's not really a good word to call yourself, right? Like, it's it's a little <laughs> arrogant, right? Um, I, I used the word because uh, it wasn't my word. Uh, Cal Newport, uh, as some yeah. of you may know, wrote the book Deep Work. I wrote a guest post on his blog. And as is typical, when you write posts for other publications, they retitled it. And it was about my MIT challenge. And so he came up with this ultra learning word. And um, I liked it because it seemed to capture this kind of flavor of this sort of intensity Uh, and I liked that kind of, there was also, there's already people talking about like learning, but it was often in this sort of guise of, um, you know, like how to avoid studying or low effort or this kind of thing. And so the ultra, I kind of, to me, the connection was with like ultra marathons where it's like, these people are crazy, but they're kind of interesting. (laughs) I want to learn from them. So I, I would kind of wanted to extend that metaphor with this book. So while I feel a little uncomfortable calling myself an ultra learner, despite titling the book that I think, um, I've always been interested in the aggressive sort of learning things and, and sort of trying to break down the mechanism of like, how would you get good at this in a shorter period of time? Or what would be the most efficient way to learn this? And so those interests I think have always been there. Um, even if they didn't come under that label. Have you all, have you struggled at all with learning anything? Yeah, some things I have for sure. I mean, I think, uh, I think the challenges that I do are often self-selected in in areas where it's like, okay, not only do I think I have some sort of interesting idea that you could pursue, but I also feel like I have some talent for this that I could I could go because I think you probably to to do things on that level where it's interesting to a public audience, you probably need both a really good method. And also talent, like they're both required, but I mean, in my own personal life, there's definitely been things that I've I've struggled with learning. I remember my first experience learning French. So, you know, prior to learning these other languages and uh, I, the situation was that I, I went there and I did a little bit of practice beforehand. And I guess I kind of impressed the teacher. And so they put me in a class. Um, you're just like okay you're going to be in this class right now but I was the worst person in the class and so like whenever I would like stand up and you know have to give presentation stuff I would get the like tsk tsk tisk like what are you doing wrong about what you're just saying and I'm like I, I don't know and and so that I definitely, you know, in that experience, I definitely got the feeling of like, oh yeah, this is what it's like to be the worst person in the class. And like, I've learned other things, which I'm not particularly talented. in. like, I took a salsa dancing up a little while ago. I'm definitely not like a super rhythmic person. <laughs> and so, you know, my wife is like much better than I am at it. And so it's, it's definitely something that, you know, you get in situations where I'm trying to learn something, but I think That idea of like when you're learning something and you're struggling with it is when you really get down to like, okay, what is the mechanism? Like, how does it actually work? Because when it's all breezy and you don't have to worry about it at all, then you don't have to think about it. So I think that's one reason I like these challenges is because either through focusing on something that you're not particularly good at or focusing on something that like just the constraints of the project make it very intense you really kind of like it's this crucible of like really boiling down what works. Whereas if it's just like, ah, I'm just sort of learning this over years and I'm sort of getting good at it. Well, like you don't know, you don't know what's, what the active ingredients are.
1: I feel you man with the trying to learn how to dance. Uh, I mean, I, I dated two Latinas in the past and both of them yeah. teach me how to dance. So they, We both sort of realized, hang on a minute. Jay doesn't have a rhythmic rhythmic bone in his body. Uh, as much as I would have loved to have had it. And same with the ability to sing. I can't sing a whole tune to save my life. And and that would be uh, contradictory because uh, scientists actually said everyone can learn how to sing. But believe me, I've tried. And I just, it doesn't work for me.
0: <laughs> well, and I mean, I think life is short and you only have a certain amount of time to focus on things. And so I, like, you know, the goal is not to pick whatever you're really bad at and spend lots of time doing it. I mean, everyone everyone kind of in, implicitly does this. Uh, I, I tend to advocate a, a little bit more of a broader view because sometimes you have to do things that you're not that good at, in which case it really makes sense to, okay, okay, I haven't been good at this in the past, but I have to do it for my work or for something that's important. You know, thinking about the sort of learning process is very important there. And then other times it's just simply, you know, this is something that even if you are good at it, you want to reach a new level at it. You know, I, I think about that in terms of writing. I don't think that I'm a, a bad writer in any sense, but trying to get better at writing is it's not easy. And so, and so I think that's a big reason to focus on this um, analysis, I guess you could say of how learning works and what are the ingredients and, and you trying to push maybe past some of the kind of, you know, ah, oh, well you just do it a while and you get better at it. That kind of that level of analysis, if you can break it down a little bit more. You can often, find out things, you're like, mm, okay, this is what's missing. This is why I'm not progressing or, or what have you.
1: I guess for both of us, if we see it as sort of like a challenge, then mm-hmm. we kind of have that desire to want to do it. I don't know about you. Like I, mm-hmm. I had, I wanted to learn how to dance. I just failed at it <laughs> <laughs> miserably and then figured out, okay, I know this is still, a, this is going to be a challenge yeah. for me. I'm going to give it a go, but then If I can't learn and I've tried my absolute best and I know I've tried my absolute best, then I think it's best that I spend my time doing something else that I might actually be better at and might actually be a a challenge nonetheless too, but it might be worth more of my time doing that
0: thing. If that made sense? Yeah, I mean, I think how you pick the projects you work on is a kind of somewhat mysterious project, but it's really important too. And so I I definitely think there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I'm not particularly talented in this, so I don't want to like focus my efforts here. But at the same time, I think, um, you know, one of the things that we face is that we often get in situations where it's sort of like, okay, I need to do this. You know, I, I need to, you know, pass this exam to do the job that I want to do, or I need to get good at this skill that I ah, had, you know, it's, I'm a little bit afraid, or I have some confidence issues or some self-doubt or this kind of thing. And so I think this is, this is really where applying that analysis is, is often very helpful, you know, and and I like to think about it too, because I think if you can often bring the challenge up a level, like, yep. uh, you know, sometimes students will write to me and they'll they'll be studying something that's like intrinsically not very interesting for them but they have to do it for, for whatever reason. And uh, one of the things that I really like to do in that situation is sometimes the the, the material is not super fascinating, but there's the kind of like higher order puzzle of like, well, what would be the efficient way to do this? So I remember I talked to a guy who was um, studying like marine navigation. So he was gonna be like a pilot for those big commercial ships. And what you had to do is you had to basically memorize just like thousands of charts. And like I, I live on the West Coast of Canada. And so it's all these like fjords and like millions of little rocks and points. And basically, you'd have to have like uh basically Google Maps in your brain. And this is something that people study for for years and they don't pass the exam and this kind of thing. Now, I don't think like getting Google Maps in your brain is necessarily like a super exciting task but there's definitely a puzzle element of like what would be the right way to study this right and so we were sort of talking about like flashcard systems and how you would like test it and and this kind of thing and so i think that's very interesting because i i feel like one of the one of the ways that you would approach that often is um, you know, oh, man, this is just such a such a demanding memory task. How do you do it effectively? And I mean, this is one of the reasons I really liked uh, learning Mandarin Chinese is because uh, the characters is just like so complicated that it just becomes this puzzle of like, oh, how how do you get this information into your brain? And and there's similarly there's other puzzles with like physics or, or, or things like this where just the material is really complicated. And so the the difficulty or the nature of the learning task itself becomes kind of interesting, even even irrespective of what you think of the the content
1: it's interesting as well because i don't know if you've looked into this much but yeah i guess you can call them prodigies in a way like mm, things just yeah. come super easy to them like all the content everything and it's just like for us it might not come as easy like i remember for example when i was in year seven bringing up the mandarin side of things Mm -hmm. i was i was learning mandarin in year seven and really really struggling at it meanwhile some of my friends they not they weren't necessarily prodigies but they understood it a lot better and they could do it a lot better than what i could even though i was trying my absolute hardest to figure Mm -hmm. this out but it just wasn't clicking in my brain so i guess for that that respect what do you think is going on for them, like if, even if yeah. it doesn't really interest them, right? Like they're just good at it.
0: Well, I think there is some definitely. Like we we're we we're talking about this again. Talent is definitely a factor. I think if you look at all the research on intelligence and its roles on um, performance in very in various ways, I think it's really hard to look at that research and, and to say that there's no natural differences in learning ability between people. I know some people have made that claim, but it just seems implausible based on all the data that we have. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of factors that kind of go underappreciated. So one of them is simply prior knowledge. So I have this story I like to tell where I I know this woman and she, um, she has a master's in, uh, it's like some kind of fluid engineering. (laughs) That's not a real term, but, but basically she works with like hydroelectric dams. It's like fluid flows and stuff. And this is like really complicated calculus that you have to master for like, you know, all the movement of the water. Like clearly I know a lot about it. So I'm talking about this. And, and I remember talking to her about this and she was saying to me that, uh, she, took an intro programming class in university, like the one that they do for first years. And she took the class and she was like, oh, I just wasn't smart enough for that. And I dropped out. That's totally insane. Like I I think. You know, if you've you've done, like, given that she succeeded in the Masters of Complex Physical Engineering, it's clear that she had the intellectual ability to do the programming class. Now, my my little psychoanalysis or my interpretation of that event is that she goes into that class, she doesn't have prior programming experience. Who else is in the class? Bunch of nerdy guys from high school that were coding in their basement for a couple years. So everything is already familiar to them. Or even if it's not you know, entirely uh, old knowledge, like maybe if they're learning some new things, they know lots of stuff about computers. And so when they teach new facts, they just hook into all that prior knowledge they already have. And it becomes easy to remember and it becomes easy to retain. And certain answers just seem obvious, whereas they weren't for her, they were new. And so her interpretation was one of general ability that I'm not smart enough to learn this. I don't have a talent for this, but it seems to me from an outside point of view that the more natural explanation is that, No, no, you were just in a kind of a bad comparative situation in your class. Another example is, you know, I was just talking about my French experience. Well, I was at the bottom of my class, but it wasn't because I was the worst possible person in French. It was because I didn't have that much french experience and everyone else i was with were like you know europeans who had done like three or four years of it in school and so when i'm the dumb kid in the class because i don't understand a rule it's because i was never taught it or i don't you know i was taught it it like badly years ago and i don't remember it whereas for other kids it was drilled repeatedly and so so these kind of differences in in prior experience make a huge difference and so i don't want to discount the role of talent but i think occasionally we sort of default to it as a sort of catch all kind of category. I wasn't good at this. Therefore talent was the problem. And I mean, maybe if you don't really care about the subject, you don't want to drill into it further. That's fine. But I think, um, there's just not that much you can do with that as an explanation. Whereas I think differences in prior knowledge can make a huge difference differences in, you know, we were talking about uh, studying technique as well. that can also make a huge difference. If you're spending a lot of times doing just sort of reviewing your notes over and over again, rather than doing active practice, terms of how much time you invest, you can get much better results with the latter than the former. So these things also make a big difference in your learning ability. So I don't want to go to the extreme position and sort of say, yeah, you know what, everyone's equal and you were just not studying hard enough. Like that, that's probably not true. But I think at the same time, it, it's often not obvious what prior experiences people bring to things. And so you can spend a lot of time thinking, oh, I'm not very smart because they're doing it really well. And you don't realize what other experiences they're bringing to it, you know? Uh, I, I given those two examples, but there's there's numerous others that I could talk about.
1: It just makes me wonder what is really intelligence anyway. Like these days, yeah. is it more book smarts or is it like actual common sense? <laughs> like which one do you
0: think, in your own opinion, is it both? Is it more than one? Well, I mean, I think yeah, I think intelligence. If if we're intelligence, if we're going to like go textbook definition is just the ability to solve um, hard problems or ability, ability to think flexibly about things. And I think that uh, one of the factors that influences intelligence is probably, probably just based on how your brain is set up. And I think, you know, that there might be, there might be neurological factors that make Um, you know, some people have a little bit better spatial reasoning or a little bit larger working memory capacity. And that those things that are kind of like built into your brain make certain types of tasks easier. Um, But a major factor is, as I said, it was just this idea of prior knowledge, because, you know, when you learn new things, what you are able to extract from the situation is very much dependent on what you already know. If you don't have certain knowledge already in your head, then you're you're having to assemble it on the fly. Whereas if you already know some things, then you can just grab patterns from what you're learning right off the bat. And so I think the idea here and the idea that I would want to promote is that while there is probably an element of intelligence that's roughly fixed, there's a huge amount of it that is just from learning so you get smarter by learning things right and and so that's why i really try to promote this um idea in the book that you know if you are actively engaged in your own self improvement whether that's academic subjects or practical subjects you're building up that base of knowledge that you can you know reason about things that are similar more easily
1: i love how everyone is unique in their ability to learn different things they're all at different levels and how they learn too like Uh, For me, I'm visual and auditory and a little bit of kinesthetic as well. So I've got to be out in nature listening to something and then being able to picture it in my brain. Like that's for me to be able to retain it. That's how I learn. But is there any one, this may be a dumb question, but Mm. is there any one style or way of learning that is, I guess, the best form or is all styles equally great?
0: Well, I mean, the research on learning styles, what you're talking about, where there's uh, you know, auditory, visual, kinesthetic, um, actually doesn't really support that much. The idea that people need to have information in their kind of preferred modality. It seems to be the case that there's certain kinds of information that's better presented visually and certain kinds of information that needs to be presented auditorily. And you need to learn uh, both. Uh, so if you're learning a map, for instance, you have to look at it. <laughs> if you're learning how to like swing a baseball you need to do it physically if you're a baseball baseball bat if you're um you know learning to pronounce something in a foreign language then you got to be able to articulate and you got to be able to listen to it and i think those things are very important um one of the things that i think can be a factor is if you are sort of lacking some of the skills. So for instance, you know, if your reading ability isn't that high, right. Then it adds cognitive load when you're actually trying to read a text that's about something. And so basically you have two levels of difficulty. You have the difficulty of reading and then the difficulty of whatever subject you're learning. Whereas the person who is a very fluent reader, they just have the, the latter, And so they have more space to learn the new material. So this is one reason why I like investing in things like Basic reading. And if you're doing quantitative subjects like basic math and things like that can be helpful, but even physical skills and stuff, I think are probably probably operate on a similar basis. We all know people that like, you know, they have a good foundation in lots of different sports. And so they can pick up new sports fairly easily because they have this kind of basic, you know, bodily literacy, (laughs) maybe that's not the right word, but, but this kind of basic set of skills. And similarly, I know people who, you know, they have a lot of musical training and so they can easily pick up new instruments and do this kind of stuff because they have that foundation. So I think that's one thing to try to invest in if you, if you want to learn skills and also to recognize, like, again, going to this prior knowledge thing that like, if you don't have that foundation, then just like, you know, give yourself a little bit more time and don't, don't just immediately blame yourself for not being intelligent enough. You're like, okay, I need to build this foundation that maybe other people have, but once I get the foundation, then I should be okay.
1: How does age play a factor in in how we learn mm-hmm.
0: yeah so uh, i actually did a, a piece where I, I reviewed some of the literature on aging and intelligence and so two concepts that are important here is the idea of fluid intelligence and crystallized intelligence so fluid intelligence is sort of your ability to just solve problems that don't use any of your world knowledge so it's just mm-hmm. like this is just a puzzle you've never seen it before solve it, right? And if you have to manipulate things in your head to figure it out, like that would be fluid intelligence. And crystallized intelligence would be, you know, things you know about the world, right? And so what they find is that fluid intelligence probably peaks in your like early 20s, but it declines very slowly. So while, you know, if you're 40, you're probably have slightly less fluid intelligence that you did when you were 21. It's not, it's not the gap that people think it is. It's not like you're super smart and then you're not smart at all by the time you're middle-aged. That's not true at all. Um, it does show a steeper decline in your like later years. So like 65 and beyond, you can start to have a decline. But even then, there's a lot of variability. And it's, it might be linked to health things. You know, you people go a little bit senile and stuff, and it it can be related to, you know, physical problems with your body. Um Whereas crystallized intelligence keeps going up. So in that sense, you know, that's the kind of what I was talking about with related to this prior knowledge, like, as you learn more and more about the world, you do get smarter in a way, you know, uh, maybe not the same way as being able to like solve just some puzzle that you've never seen before, but in the kind of practical world knowledge you know yourself you know the world around you you know lots of things about the world you have lots of life experiences to draw on. those things are important you know and they're an important aspect of learning so i think You know, uh, that's why you know historians tend to peak much later than mathematicians because to be a great historian is to have a huge amount of history knowledge, whereas to be a great mathematician is maybe like to be able to solve some like super specific puzzle where you can like eliminate most of the knowledge of the world because only a very small of it's going to be relevant.
1: This may be just my curiosity running Mm -hmm. wild here, and it could be another dumb question, but we'll see how we (laughs) go. Uh, But do you think it's actually possible to Stop learning. To stop learning? Yeah, to stop learning just straight away. Are we always learning something? Well, I mean,
0: I mean, if we're taking the psychologist definition of learning, which would be like relatively permanent changes in your brain from experience that are somewhat adaptive, then I mean, yeah, of course we're always learning because you can remember things, right? So whenever to stop learning would be to like stop having any memories. Yeah. Even people who are amnesiacs, like even I don't know if you've seen the movie Memento. Yes, where they, yeah. So, okay. So that's, that's based on a real thing called a uh, interior grade, interior uh, grade amnesia. I'm bad at I'm pronouncing words here. Uh, but the idea is that when you have damage to the hippocampus, you can't form uh long-term memories, but you have other skill learning systems. So they've actually managed to like, You know, I was reading a paper. I don't know whether it was the exact same thing that the guy in Memento had, but it was a person who had uh, this kind of amnesia, maybe not as extreme a form. And uh, she was taught to speak another language because you have this skill system, which is just it's a different it's a different process for learning things. And uh, it takes a lot longer, (laughs) but it, it just shows that they're. There is the kind of a bit of a disassociation there, and so there's lots of things that maybe you don't even have conscious awareness of it, but it's a form of learning. Um, This kind of experience of things in life of this being good, and this being bad, and you kind of like learn to like avoid things that are bad and go to things that are good is also uh, probably has some unconscious elements to it. I mean, the amount that it's unconscious learning is a little bit controversial, but... I think that there's definitely multiple systems for for learning in the brain. And so the idea that, you know, we could just go on without learning would mean that like our experience of life would stop. And so we're always learning things. I think what I mean when I talk about learning and this kind of stuff is just that we should try, I think as much as possible to seek out environments and experiences that are going to expand the breadth of things that we experience. Cause it's very easy to get into a routine. And then, you know, if you can imagine, you know, life is this big vista that you could explore. You kind of just walk around the same place and yeah, you are getting new memories, but they're kind of constrained in some little box. And so I think that's the idea of learning is that you want to broaden <laughs> the things that you know and the things that you understand so that you can, you know, reason more effectively in bigger situations and and have broader life experiences to draw on.
1: I think life is just a, a constant living example of just learning as many new things as we possibly can Uh, and in learning you grow you develop and I think that's ultimately what life is really about learning Mm -hmm. new things making connections with people Uh, because if you don't learn something new and you like you're going to be very boring first and foremost and and secondly like you're just going to stop like existing really in the world you're just going to be I guess alive but yeah. Like it's just going to be very boring and, and lame. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I think, and I think the thing too, is that we, we often, we create those boxes mm-hmm. for ourselves. So it's like, it's not even just a, well, you know, this is my routine and I do it, but we, we box ourselves in. So we were talking about some of these beliefs that we have about like, well, I can't learn X or I can't do Y. And again, you know, there's there's not an infinite amount of time. You always have to prioritize. If you have to choose between 40 things you want to learn, you might want to choose things that are more interesting or things that you have more aptitude for. But at the same time, we kind of can create these boundaries where we very much stick into this small, narrow version of ourselves um, and because of these beliefs about what we can learn and, and what will happen if we try to learn things.
1: Mm-hmm. Leading towards the sort of close of our conversation, I've got a couple more Mm -hmm. questions for you, Scott, if you don't mind. This has been a fascinating conversation. Um, As you can tell, I love learning, so I'm grateful Mm -hmm. for that. (laughs) Um, And what are you, you've written in your book nine principles, I believe, Mm -hmm. to help people learn skills quicker. Are you able to share? Just some for the audience that they can yeah. implement in their own life. To- I
0: mean, this this is a whole other conversation, but I can just summarize some of them briefly. Like the, the first one I talk about is meta learning, this idea that if you're going to plan some learning project for yourself, you want to first invest in the kind of learning how to learn that subject. So how does it break down into, you know, different components? Like, are you learning facts? Are you learning procedures? Are you learning concepts? Um, what are they? You know, how is it structured? This kind of thing making that upfront investment can be huge. I think, especially when you're tackling something difficult and novel um, making those investments are are big because if you, if you're not quite sure how you're supposed to get to a point of proficiency um, it can be very hard to put in the work to actually get there. So I think that's a big one. I talk about uh, directness. This is this idea of that learning is often acquiring a lot of quite specific patterns. And so we, We don't often, we often think about learning in terms of school, in terms of being in a classroom and studying from a book, but it very much often involves this direct practice of actually using the skill in a real situation. And that's often what's missing. You know, we learn vocabulary in the classroom, but we don't practice it in conversations. And the real conversations is often what sustains the skill. Uh, I talk about retrieval, which is related to this idea that students frequently miss predict what will actually result in learning. So if you have a chance to study over your notes, what students will do is they'll read it again and again and again, and and they'll feel like they're learning a lot. But there's actually studies that show that if they just close the book and try to remember what was in it, they would do much better on later tests. And this is this idea that there can be some cognitive illusions, there's these misperceptions about what what results in learning, and uh, retrieval is definitely one of them. So, I mean, those are just a few of the principles, but there's there's a lot more in the book, and I discuss a lot more of the research and the you know anecdotal evidence that supports them uh, in the full book.
1: Kind of is interesting because we didn't really touch on memory and how mm-hmm. memory plays a role in learning, and that that's a curious aspect for me because some people's memory is like you got those people that have photographic memories. Um, I'm jealous of those people. <laughs> like, yeah, but for me, I don't, I don't have that. My younger brother actually has; he has a visual, uh, photographic memory. Like anything visual related, he can remember straight away, which I think is, I think it's awesome in a in a sense. But then he struggles with other visual cues and um, auditory mm. cues and and things like that. So yeah, I think memory is interesting. The whole process of learning all this stuff is fascinating for me. So yeah, thanks for sharing the, all this. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, no problem. But um, you have your your book, Ultra Learning, which I want to highlight for people to mm-hmm. go and get a copy of the book. Um, why did you write the book in the first place?
0: Well, I mean, I think I wrote the book because the stories and examples of people who were you know as i mentioned kind of in the beginning of the conversation these people were doing these sort of weird self-education projects had such a big influence on me and it was something that you know outside of this like kind of well what i would argue doesn't even exist anymore this sort of weird blogging community that was you know uh, 10 years ago or so um it, a lot of these stories were not well known and and i think the idea that you could, you know, teach yourself a language, or you could, you know, take a bunch of classes online, or you could do some of these things, I don't think was fully appreciated by most people. And and so I I wanted to try to share some of those stories, because they had such an impact on me. And at the same time, I wanted to take an opportunity to kind of do a little bit of a tour through what we know from science about how learning works well. So the stories, I think, hopefully complement the research about how learning works and how, uh, you might be able to learn better, even if you're doing something that's, um, you know, not nearly as extreme. What is a skill that you're still trying to learn today? Mm, Lots of skills. I mean, I, I'm always trying to get better at downhill skiing, uh, Mandarin Chinese, uh, oh, I don't know. Uh,
1: lots, lots. And what's exciting you, the future, man. Well, what's going on? Are you writing another book or? Yeah,
0: I'd like to, I am working on it right now. I'll, I'll probably let people know about it when it's a little bit more developed, but I've been, um, I've been trying to do a lot more research on some of the aspects of, you know, we kind of touched on them a little bit here, but some of the emotional aspects of learning things, some of the social aspects, some of the motivational aspects, which I think are super important. I, I very much focus a lot on the kind of strategies for learning effectively um, in, in ultra learning. But I think, you know, like we were talking about, about the kind of real world nature, a lot of these skills is that, you know, often what you're dealing with is is motivational problems or you're dealing with issues of, you know, how do you figure out what you should be learning? And I think these are really important.
1: I, for one, am keen to see what you do next. I think the emotional side of things and what motivates people it's yeah it's fascinating i think diving further into it and giving people more information on it for them to you know make sense (laughs) i think (laughs) is needed uh in today in today's world but um what do you love the most about yourself scott and your story
0: (laughs) what do i love about myself um no i mean i think I think the thing that I'm very grateful for, maybe I'll frame it that way, is that I kind of got a chance to do something that was a little bit unusual and unique. I feel like it's often difficult to do that um, or to have an opportunity to do that maybe because, uh, you know, so much of our sort of social forces is kind of enforcing a certain conformity. And so I'm kind of happy that I was not only in a position where I was able to pursue some of these challenges, but also that I you know, had maybe the kind of useful energy and naivete where I would, you know, pursue them with gusto rather than just pick them apart and be like, ah, no, that's not going to work for this reason. And, uh, so I, I hope that, you know, maybe someone seeing those challenges would, would pursue things the same way that would, you know, consider some idea that yeah, this is a little crazy, but I'm going to try it anyways.
1: We've done some pretty crazy things from the outside looking in. Um, we didn't touch on your MIT course you did uh three it was meant to be four years right you did in twelve yeah. months. Um mm-hmm. so my grandfather actually did a three year managerial course in twelve months. So he was like my I'm good on him of an ultra learner. He did suffer yeah. a heart attack at the end of it. Uh but oh, he geez. did it. <laughs> he did it. So he's got that rep on him. Oh uh, wow. But yeah, he was uh, kind of like my inspiration when it came down to the thing that I wanted to do and, and set my mm. mind to it, just getting it done and, and going all for it. But you've, you've done that with a four-year crazy course. Um, you've learned, I believe, four languages in one year, which is insane. You've probably done many other things that we don't know about. But um, yeah, man, like I've really enjoyed this conversation. My final question for you, this mm-hmm. is my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you mm-hmm. to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends mm. and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've <laughs> ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. Yeah. But They've been able to get it. And show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you mm. want that film to say and to show about your life?
0: Well, I think I would want it to say that uh, I had good relationships with friends and family and that I uh, worked on things that I thought were important and interesting. And and hopefully that, you know, I had some unique experiences in life. Mm. I, I don't think that's a particularly novel answer, but I think it's the one that I'd, I'd stick to.
1: No, it's a good send-off message for people to think about. Scott, man, thank you so much for your time today, for helping me learn more. (laughs) It's always, always great. Um, But thank you for joining me today on the Storybox podcast.
0: Oh, yeah, it's great to be here.
1: I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you. And don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.